God has the ability to speak things that do not exist into existence. So when you get a word from him, it's something that may not exist yet. Welcome to the Grow Time Business Devo, where we explore biblical principles for living a God-honoring and a high-performance life. My name is Kenneth Ott. Today, we're in Romans chapter four. And this one is a doozy. This is, this is a powerful little section of verses. And I've got just a few things to pull out of it. But as I was reading it, and I, as I was getting things from it, it was just so inspiring to me. And so this is um, Paul speaking. And he's speaking about one of my favorite people, Abraham. And if you don't know anything about Abraham, Abraham was a massively successful person. And then he was obviously the thing that started the entire nation of Israel and um, really where everyone comes from. But he had such great belief and excellence and greatness and power. And he had so many good qualities. And so Paul actually breaks that down today. So we're going to read that and then we're going to kind of break some things down. I'm going to start in verse 16 and um, go through verse, it's verse 21 and then we'll read verse 24. So it says, therefore, it is a faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who's the father of us all. As it is written, I've made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken. So shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, that's God, he was also able to perform. And then skip into verse 24, but also for us, it shall be imputed to us who believe in him, that's God, who raised up Jesus, our Lord from the dead. Okay, so Paul just like breaks down Abraham and, um, and there's just so much here, I think to learn. And, and I would just encourage you to go read about Abraham, right? If you are someone who is pursuing something great, if you're someone who believes that you have a promise and a calling and something that is, is, is in your soul that you're supposed to pursue and you know it's for you, go learn about Abraham because he is the original 
He's the one who started it all. And you can learn a ton from him. I'm just going to start in verse 16. I'm just going to break down a few things that, um, that jumped out to me that are really powerful. And so first in verse 16, it says, therefore is a faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure to all the seed. Not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who's the father of us all. The faith brings the promise, not the other way around. That's what's interesting here. Therefore, the start verse says, therefore it is of faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure. So I just thought it was interesting that faith comes before the promise. Faith precedes the promise. And so faith is the hard part, right? You kind of want the promise first so that you can believe in it. And we do have the promise here. We have lots of promises in God's word about how he operates and how you can basically use those to leverage yourself into a great life and a successful life. Um, but when you get a calling and you get a promise from God, it turns out in that way, faith precedes that. And that makes sense, right? If you're looking at, if you're trying to find a word from God for your life, the promise for your life or the promise of what you're supposed to be pursuing, um, what is meant for you, what your mission in this life is. In order to do that, you have to have faith in God, right? You have to have faith in who you are and who you're supposed to be in order to pursue that promise. We've talked about that idea of pursuing a mission, right? How powerful having a mission can be, right? Not having that lacks direction. So so having that is very valuable. It's worth having, right? But you have to pursue it, right? In order to pursue it, you have to have faith that pursuing it is valuable, right? So I just thought that was interesting that faith precedes the promise. Second thing here is in verse 17, the faith of Abraham, who's the father of us all, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. In the presence of him, God, whom he believed, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. And so God has the ability to speak things that do not exist into existence. So when you get a word from him, it's something that may not exist yet. His words alone speak things into existence. Now we know that from how creation was created, right? He created the entire world with words. The thing that's really interesting to me is that we're created in his image and we know that our words have a lot of power. And I believe that you have the power to speak things into existence as well. Now I don't mean... um, Blindly and emptily saying something will make it happen. But we know that, and and this is not necessarily even in the faith world. I'm in the entrepreneurial circles. Like there's this, the ideas of speaking certain words and incantations, all these different things, right? It really comes from the power that is inside of the words that we speak, that is given to us 
by God, right? He had power in his words. You have power in your words. So this is a powerful model for us to speak things which do not exist as though they did. So the key to doing that is believing it, right? And if you've ever tried that, by the way, practically, like I've tried that, right? Like there have been things that in my life I've wanted or I believe are for me, or maybe I'm in a challenging circumstance and I'm having a lot of fear and maybe a lot of doubt. And so practicing uh, the habit of speaking things that maybe you don't feel, that don't exist as if they did, actually helps orient your brain around figuring out how you do that. Now, practically speaking, I went through, I, I did this, I did this breakdown of what I call action habits, right? And I did a whole video and a whole podcast about action habits. And it's this idea of stacking uh, certain types of habits so that you don't have to expend conscious energy on them and priming your day that way. Okay. Uh, One of the action habits is prayer and speaking things that you don't feel into existence. But here's the key. The idea behind an action habit is this idea that we go from feelings to thoughts to actions. That's how 99% of the world operates. And I'm not going to go into this right now. You can go find that video. We can link to it. That's why we get bad results. We feel something that creates um, how we think about that thing. And then we take actions around how we feel and think about that circumstance. So our results are all over the place. They're based on our circumstances, which is not really a great way to live and certainly not a great way to ensure success. Now, it turns out the most successful people in the world, the way they get success is by reversing the chain, right? You can't really control how you feel, but you can control what you do, right? You can blindly do things right? That's where the idea of an action habit comes from. So when you reverse the chain, you go from actions, or you take action that you don't feel like taking, and then your thoughts start to change. And when your thoughts start to change, then your feelings start to change, okay? And this is how you actually tap into changing your feelings and your perspective in certain situations, which actually then have a virtuous cycle of taking better actions, better thoughts, and better better feelings, et cetera. And that's how you achieve these results. One of the action habits is speaking. The words you speak, you can speak words, like you can say whatever you want, right? So you can say words that you don't feel. You can say words that don't exist right now. Speak as if they do. By doing that, you actually start to change how you think. You start to change how you feel. And then it actually brings those things about in like, some, in like a miraculous way. Like that's actually how it works. So it's not just empty words, but there's actual science behind this idea that actions and words bring about results because they create this chain reaction inside of you. And there's certainly a supernatural part of this. I believe that the spiritual part is in everything Every 
a high performance tactic. Every business tactic is really a spiritual game because God baked all this into you. And it's really, it's really fascinating and amazing. Um, but your words have power. So you can speak to things that you don't feel into existence. Verse 18, who contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken. So there's that word again, was spoken, not what was done, what was spoken. And the thing that was spoken was, so shall your descendants be. And the idea here is that, I just think in this particular verse, it's clear, you need to have hope. You need to have hope in order to believe. And then when you believe, that's not enough. You must become. This is the idea that contrary to what was going on in the situation, Abraham still had hope and still believed. And it's going to get clearer in the next verse because in the next verse, it talks about how he was hundred years old and his wife was barren, right? And, and God promised him that he was going to be the father of many nations, right? As many as the stars are in the sky. And he must be sitting there going like, Everything that I see is contrary to what you're saying, what I'm hearing. So contrary to that, he had hope and he believed. But here's the thing. So he became the father of many nations. He didn't just hope and then believe and then sit on the couch, right? He took action. And I think that's the critical thing. And not even just action, but you, he actually had to become the person that was the father of many nations before he was the father of many nations. It's that idea of like, you know, they always, that, there's that kind of business cliche of like dress for the job that you want. But the idea behind it is you must become the person and take action in line with the person that is required to achieve the thing that you're trying to go after. So this is like a business masterclass, just a success masterclass just from Abraham right here in these few verses. You must become that person in order to receive it according to the word that was spoken, all right? So he's remembering the words again, the promise, the thing right? In order to achieve what he's going after, it's based on the words that were spoken. That's really, really important. So then uh, in 19, and not being weak, not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. And so it's, I think it's really interesting how it emphasized the idea of not being weak, which is being strong, being strong in faith. And then it goes into not considering all of the circumstances that you saw, he saw around him. So, so, so it's, it'd be really smart to like kind of go in and think about, look at how Abraham operated, right? It, it would be really, I think you'd really, get a lot out of analyzing this person. But as you go, and maybe in one of these devos, I'll actually break him down a little bit in the original story, but he's fascinating to me. He was strong. He was well-accomplished. He was 
super successful in his life before any of this happened, before we even enter the story of Abraham. He was extremely successful. He was extremely strong. And there was even a story where like his nephew was captured by other kings, five other kings, I think it was. And he's a businessman, okay? But it said that Abraham was rich in cattle and gold and other things, right? So he was very successful. He had a lot of resource and his nephew gets captured. He actually goes, it says he armed his his servants and he went and took on the five kings and won, right? So he had tons of courage. He was incredibly strong and he had, a, he had the resources to back it up. He had a war chest, right? This is someone who had a lot of belief in his, in his mind prior to this. This is not a weak person. And I think the takeaway here, I think it's really important. Like if you're gonna do something great and you're going to believe in a promise that God gives you, you have a duty to actually be a strong person. You cannot be a weak person. You can't be someone who's weak and timid and, and just wait for God to give you that. Like you have to do something inside of you to actually become a strong person. I think that's really important. I think actually in Christian circles that gets overlooked sometimes. And in fact, I think strong people sometimes are even um, looked down on. And that's like this satanic principle. But like the idea is that you cannot be weak and pursue these things. You cannot be weak and then have faith. You cannot be weak and believe in some great promise and then ignore all the circumstances around you that say otherwise, right? And that's exactly what happened here, right? He, he um, was strong, right? He was strong in faith. And then he didn't consider his own body, which was, as Paul put it, already dead because he was about a hundred years old. So he's, he's like making fun of him. Um, and his wife who's barren. Can you imagine if God told you you're gonna be the father of many nations and you believed that that was the thing, but you were hundred years old and your wife, you've been trying to have kids for, for, I don't know, what, 70 years? And probably more than that because they probably get married at very early ages at that point, right? So almost a hundred years you've been trying to have kids, you have not had kids. And um, you're the crazy person that, <laughs> believes that you're going to be the father of many nations. Can you imagine what his friends said if he shared that with him? Um, the Bible is full of those stories, right? Noah is a similar one where there's a, a grand vision, a grand promise given to someone that sounds insane, but it's given to them by God and they pursue it and they have undeniable, undoubting faith and they achieve it, right? And God gives it to them. If you're Abraham, you, you probably wanted this for a very long time. Right? This is probably not something that he just was like, oh, I think I want to be the father of many nations right now, right? At 100 years old. Like God gave him that promise, but I bet, I bet he was a, like, he was a person. He had desires. And this is probably one of them, right? This is probably one of the things that he, he had um, wanted his entire life. And so he had to go through his entire life. Um, and then get to this point where he gets a new word, right? And ignore all of the circumstances and ignore all the facts around him and believe in this somewhat insane idea, right? That he's gonna be the father of many nations. That takes 
strong faith that takes strong belief, incredibly strong belief. I wonder, is there something that you've wanted for a long time? Maybe you've given up on it because it hasn't happened for in the time frame that you thought, right? Can you imagine like Abraham where it probably waited, I don't know, almost a hundred years, right? He had no indication that it was going to happen. He still had a long period of, of after that promise, like not getting any indication that it was going to happen. And he tries to take matters into his own hands. And then eventually he has Isaac. And then, you know, it's one, one son. Can you imagine all of the strength and belief required? And my question to you is, having a grand vision and having a pursuing a promise is going to take believing beyond everything that you see, right? If that thing that you're pursuing hasn't happened yet, have you given up on it? Because strong faith doesn't give up hope. What if Abraham did that? Like, what if Abraham gave up? He, he had every reason to, right? We wouldn't be here. I think that's a, a powerful thought. You know, the time frame, often time doesn't, uh, time to, uh, actually, usually in my, in, my, in my life, usually it doesn't happen in my time frame. And it can be challenging to not, to not give up hope. Fortunately, I'm German, so I, I, just, uh, I just pursue and pursue and I'm very stubborn. <laughs> but I don't know about you, but that's something to consider. All right, I'm gonna keep going here. So verse 20, he did not waver, did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. I thought it was really interesting. It, 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 Paul's so interesting how he says these things. He, like he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. So he didn't allow doubt to come into his mind. And I think that's critical. If you're pursuing something great, something that is um, maybe unlikely, maybe other people would give up on, maybe other people would say it's not even possible. Maybe other people tell you that it's not possible. If you're doing that, you cannot allow doubt to come into your mind. And I've talked about that before, but there's no benefit in doubt, actually. It's, doubt is a defense mechanism to, to protect you from some supposed you know, shame around failing. But really, other than that, there's no, there's no benefit. There's no upside to doubt. The smart people, the successful people, the ones who get their promise do not doubt. And that doesn't mean that doubt doesn't try and creep up into your mind, but you have to put it out. Right? And you have to do everything possible to orient your life around inputs that are feeding the direction that you're supposed to be going not and, and removing all inputs that create doubt. It's, it actually takes work. It's hard work. Um, it's like you know, um, an athlete or you know, a bodybuilder who's training for a show, like, they have to be like on it. Their diet is so dialed in. They can't allow any little thing in, right? An athlete who's pursuing a championship and they're in the final few games, like they have to close out everything. It takes a lot of effort, a lot of strength, and a lot of intention to actually close out doubt and stay focused on the thing. But that is the, that's the reason why most people don't get, get it. They don't have the belief. Most people have too much doubt. Most people don't have the willpower 
to actually continue pursuing and, and the ability to feel like an outcast when they're, when they're changing their life in a way that other people think is really weird and odd, which is the case with anyone who creates anything successful, right? You're going to be the oddball out. We all know that. That's what this podcast is for. This podcast is for the oddballs out. You're going to be considered extreme and weird, right? But that is critical because you need to remove all doubt. And then it says he was actually strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. So not only did he remove all doubt, but when all these circumstances, because I know I'm breaking this down slow, but like we just went through, like there are all these circumstances around him that are saying otherwise, he's not going to get this thing that he's pursuing, right? And so he has to remove all doubt. And what it does is it actually strengthens his faith, right? So he's, he's stacking the deck in his favor. Do you stack the deck in your favor? When you see something that isn't in line with what you know your mission is and you're promised, and it may seem discouraging, do you see that as something that actually motivates you forward or does it discourage you backward? Abraham was strengthened when he saw all these things. He was strengthened in faith. I think that's fascinating. And I actually think that you may say, you may have answered, no, I, I, um, it does discourage me. I don't believe it's like, I think some people are a little bit, maybe it's a little bit, it comes more naturally to them, but no one automatically is strengthened by things that are discouraging or seem like they're actually going in the opposite direction of where they want to go. No one's strengthened automatically that way. It's a choice. And so I, one of the things we're learning here is you have to be strong. And, and, and to make this choice, to make these decisions, it requires strength and willpower and belief. So those are really, really important. It solidified his belief. The challenges, the opposition, solidified his belief. And he set himself up for winning. And can you stack the deck in your favor to where every failure is a win? It's funny, Abraham's executing principles that we hear today, right? How every failure is actually one step closer to the thing. Or how many times have we heard that thing? Well, that's actually true. Abraham's actually executing it, you know, thousands of years ago. This idea that I'm going to see a challenge. I'm going to see something that, that actually does not, does not um, line up with what, with what God promised me, what I believe is for me. And I'm actually going to use that to, for me to know that I'm actually closer. Now, Abraham wasn't perfect by far, like any of us. And I think that's really good because it kind of gives me grace as I think about this. But he had some, do you remember when he had Ishmael, right? He, he took matters into his own hands. He started to doubt God and he started to um, take matters into his own hands about creating this nation. And it went the wrong way, right? And that was a downfall of his, right? But so, he, so that happens. He got back up and he kept going, right? So the cool thing is, is you're going to have these momentary lapses where, where this kind of stuff just doesn't come easy, right? It, or you fail or, or you slip into doubt or you, or you try and make it happen earlier than it was supposed to happen. Maybe you want something and you force it right? And usually when we force things too early, they actually end up hurting us and they end up being worse. At least for me, that's the case. But the cool thing is, is you can get right back on it, right? And especially if you've been 
creating these habits, these action habits, if you've been conditioning your life around these concepts, you can get right back on it and continue on. And then I'll just finish up here, verse 21, and being fully convinced at what he had promised, what God had promised, that he, God, was also able to perform. I actually want to just say, make a note in verse 20, step back for a second. It says, he was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. I know we spoke in a recent Devo about the idea of giving glory to God. It was around that story of Herod. I thought that was really interesting. And I just, I don't want to skip that because for us entrepreneurs, for us people who might achieve really, really great success, I think it's really important to remember that we need to give that glory back to God, that our humanity is not meant to hold glory. It actually creates self-destruction and it kills us. And we see that everywhere, right? Celebrities, successful people destroying their lives, committing suicide, doing all these horrible things, everyone around them, blowing up companies, like all their employees, everyone like creating this mass chaos when they don't give the glory back to God. I believe that the success of Abraham came from that idea. And I don't think it's a coincidence that Paul makes a note to say, giving glory to God, right? In all of this. And it's, it's, it's the thing that propels you to success, right? It's the thing that allows you to continue. Um, so then verse 21, and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was able to perform. The thing I wrote down here is you must, it's a but. All this is true, but you must trust him. You must be fully convinced. He was fully convinced, no doubt, that what God promised, God was able to perform. Not that he was able to perform. Now, Abraham was a powerful man. He owned his greatness and he performed amazing things. But in partnership with God, like he didn't, he knew his role, right? And when, and, and when God promises something that is so big, you have to be fully convinced that not you, but what God promised, God will perform. And the reason this is so important is because there are going to be all these challenges that come in and, and tell you otherwise. There's going to be doubt. There's going to be people that tell you that these things are not going to happen. There's going to be people that tell you this is not smart what you're doing. And by the way, you should surround your people that are wise and you should have mentors that can actually speak into your life to make sure that you are in track because I know entrepreneurs that go way off the rails, right? And hurt a lot of people because they don't have that. So I'm not saying you should be a freight train, like runaway freight train, just like barrel into everything and ignore every single word in your life, okay? But you must understand who the, the people that speak into your life are and then who all the others aren't. But it's so important to know that God is the one that's going to perform these things, right? And you have to be fully convinced in that. So when you hit a challenge and you, you, know, you operate within that, you don't have to just like push through it and barrel through it necessarily, right? But you just, you don't have to be discouraged. I think this is, this is really around the idea of not, pers- not pushing through, every, not s- kicking down every door because that's not always smart. It's really about your mind. It's about 
not being discouraged that the thing that you're yet you were told was going to happen is now not going to happen because of this new circumstance. And actually speaking this to myself because I have things that I want. I have things that I'm pursuing and I don't think I would like them to be faster. I would like them to get here faster. I'd like them to be even more successful. And sometimes there was a time about a year ago where I got very discouraged around some of these things, like thought they may not happen. Maybe I was doing the wrong thing. Maybe I was pursuing the wrong direction. And I felt like I got a reinvigorating word from God. Like people started speaking into my life and I all of a sudden had all of this confidence or, or confidence in the direction, like reassurance is the better word to where it was like, no, Ken, pursue this and run 100% at it. It is the promise that I have for you. It's your mission. And, and when, when that comes, you can, you can just have peace around what you're pursuing, right? It's not necessarily about kicking down every door. It's about just because this circumstance happens doesn't mean the promise is not going to happen, right? And that takes believing fully in God's promise and that God is able to perform it. And it's not just you. And so I would ask you, do you have a calling from God? And do you fully believe that he can give it to you? What he told you, give you the thing. If so, then why worry? Why be discouraged? Maybe you're feeling discouraged right now. I don't know. Maybe you have a calling and it's just not happening as fast as possible. What would it look like to just let that go if, and trust the promise, right? Don't slow down. Don't be weak. Don't be complacent, but be wise and trust the promise and just continue doing what you're supposed to be doing, right? Keep executing. Now, is it possible that you don't know the direction that you're in going in? And to that, I would say it might be really powerful to pursue what the promise and what the mission is for you, what the calling is for you. I'll tell you what, when you get a taste of that, it's like you have massive amounts of energy and momentum around the thing that you're doing. And for me, the kind of judge in my life is generally whether I feel like I'm just like working away at nothing spectacular with, with, with no great reward. And I don't just mean monetary reward, but I mean like fulfillment. So it's like completely unfulfilled or I'm pursuing something that I'm that with with absolute passion about the thing that I'm pursuing. Uh, sorry, that about something that is fulfilling, right? I can see the thing, and I'm invigorated by the idea, and I can see the promise, and I know what God has given, what God has for me. That takes pursuing. That takes waiting. That takes listening, and and maybe listen to some other devos because I've kind of like it's it's kind of been part of our journey here. And that idea of pursuing your mission and your promise and waiting and listening, um, that's been something that God's been leading, leading me through and leading us through as we go through these devos. But what would it look like to have that? To have that would mean you could, you'd have unending energy. It's an amazing feeling and it's so worth pursuing and getting. So I'll just end here on this verse 24, but also for us, it should be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus, our Lord from the dead. And I just thought it was 
smart to mention how all of this, this faith that we're talking about that leads to belief, that leads to you becoming someone, right? That actually then achieves the promise and pursues the promise along with God and gets it. In order to do that, um, that same faith is the faith that saves you. And let's not forget that, right? Like sometimes in business, we can forget that really the same principles apply to our life. Like success in life, success in business, success in your soul, right? In who you become in, um, after this life is over. Those things are all in line. It's like the same faith that has you pursuing the thing that you're pursuing is the same faith that can save you if you believe in God who raised up Jesus from the dead. And I just kind of wanted to, to just end there. And so I had a couple questions just to kind of like, just at the very end here, just maybe to consider. I'm considering these myself as I kind of went through this. This is a longer Devo. There's just a lot in here. And I feel like I could keep going on. It's just like so, there's just so much good stuff. Man, studying Abraham is just amazing. It's just, there's just good stuff after good stuff. But here's the deal. I've got a couple questions. Number one, how strong are you, right? In order to do these things, you must be strong. That's, so you need to be physically strong. You need to be emotionally strong. You need to be mentally strong. You need to be spiritually strong. So I often say like, you should train for business as if you're a pro athlete. And if you're not, you're not going to win. You just will not, okay? Because all how you do anything is how you do everything. So are you getting physically strong, like actually strengthening, like lift weights, okay? Like physically strong, right? That's one thing. Mentally strong, spiritually strong, emotionally strong. I can't, I can't tell you how many business owners and executives I come into contact with that are so emotionally weak. And I'm not, I'm not ragging on them. Like, I'm just saying, it's astounding to me. And they act like babies sometimes. And it's, it's horrible. It's bad. And it needs to stop. Like if you're running a company, you need to be emotionally strong. You shouldn't be getting angry and yelling at people and doing all these ridiculous things all the time, right? You're, you're not a baby. You need to be emotionally strong. You need to be spiritually strong. Like your relationship with your maker. Business is a spiritual game. Like success is a spiritual game. I don't think it's a coincidence and I'm not using this to prove anything, but I'm just saying as a point of reference, I don't think it's coincidence that the that essentially many of, if not all that I know of, all of the star successful athletes in the world are spiritual people. Now, I don't know the depth of their spirituality. I don't know the, the, the depth of their faith or anything like that. But I do know that there is something to it, right? There's a reason why, even in this day where I was watching Thursday Night Football yesterday, and I was fascinated by, not, not fascinated by this, like, so a bunch of the players go to the corner to pray before the game. And all the best players in this game were doing that as well. So it's like the top players and all the others. 
And I'm not saying that it wasn't everybody, but it was a bunch of them. And they were showing it on TV. And I was fascinated by even where they're trying to remove God from every single aspect. There's still, God is still, I just like chuckling. Like God is still making his way in. He's like not going to be removed by some media company. Okay. Which is ridiculous. He's God. Um, but there's something to it. There's a reason why that happens. Okay. And this is all a spiritual game. So how strong are you? How strong is your faith? How strong is your resilience? How strong is your belief? Right? How strong is your discipline and your willpower? Right? Your ability to pursue even when things are hard. How strong is your mentality to stay encouraged when things are discouraging? How stronger is your mentality when it comes to removing the negative inputs from your life and the doubts and the doubters and removing even friends and family or whoever relation, like negative relationships? How, how strong are you in that? Because this requires great strength, like pursuing a promise. A promise is not going to come to you unless you pursue it. You have a role and it takes great strength. As we read here, it takes extreme strength. Um, how confident are you in the promise that you've been given? Right? Abraham was very confident and he was confident in God's ability to to fulfill that promise. So how confident are you in God's ability to fulfill that promise? Right? Maybe you need to develop that relationship a bit better in order to be confident in that, right? Which would mean certain other actions that you might take, but developing that relationship with your maker, praying, all these other things, right? That might be part of it. Here's another one. Are you owning your greatness? If you've been around me, I've got this phrase called, or this phrase, which is owning, own your greatness. And I didn't make it up. In fact, one of my business coaches used to say that's me all the time. And it's a brilliant phrase. Are you owning your greatness? Um, Abraham owned his greatness. Now, owning greatness is not arrogance. Owning your greatness is owning who God made you, all the talents that you have, all of your ability and using them and leveraging them, all that potential and executing on it, pursuing it, maximizing it. That's owning your greatness. Being confident in the identity of who God made you is owning your greatness. Right? Being weak is not godly. Being timid and false humility and all these different things, these are not godly. These are demonic devil principles to steal other people's blessings and ability and great and greatness by not having you own yours. You can't inspire someone if you don't own your greatness. Greatness. You don't. You can't create great wealth and resources and influence positive influence unless you own your greatness. Now, the flip side of that is you must give the glory back to God, because if you don't, it will self destruct and it will kill you. But you must own your greatness in order to do this. Are you owning your greatness? That's a balance that's hard to strike, and it takes wisdom in order to strike it. But owning your greatness is one. Uh, here's another one. Abraham owned his greatness. He owned the greatness that was within him that God put there and then he gave the glory to God. And 
maybe because he did that, he was able to fully trust in who God was and what God promised. Owning your greatness the way Abraham owned his greatness, I think is a powerful idea. And it's one that um, is actually fun and energizing, right? Once you can release the chains of, you know, if you're a Christian, you have to be weak, timid, poor, all these uh, basically satanic principles that have like come into the church in certain ways. Um, once you can release it from those chains and realize that um, you can inspire others. You know, growing up, I grew up in a church where many of those things were believed, right? Like weakness is to be praised and poorness is to be exalted. And um, I don't think those are bad people, but I do think they were misinformed. I don't, I don't believe that that's the case. That's not in the Bible anywhere. It talks about riches a lot for God's people. It doesn't talk about poorness for God's people anywhere, right? And all the verses that, that are referenced, and I won't get into this, but all the verses that are referenced around love of money and some of these other things are often misconstrued and like taken out of context to make them seem like poorness is great, right? But the Bible has to align with itself, right? It can't contradict itself. So if Abraham was rich, then rich can't be bad. And there's a whole bunch of other verses to support that. But the point is, is like riches are for God's people. Resources are powerful and they're inspiring to other others. And so if you don't own your greatness, you're actually not doing what God wanted you to do with the talents that he gave you. And you're not able to inspire others and help others and do any of that kind of stuff. And it's a, it's a perpetual cycle down. When I was growing up, there was one person or there were a couple, but there was one person in my life who owned his greatness. And he was shunned out of this circle for a little while. And all he did was just, he was just a very godly person that was a great husband, a great father, and a great business leader that was extremely successful. And um, because of some of those things, because of the success, uh, he was kind of shunned out of the circles. Um, and I always saw that person and was inspired by that person. And I know that person today. And um, they are now the one that is helping almost all those other people that has shunned him out. It's amazing. But owning your greatness is important for everybody, not just you. And so I know this is a longer one, but man, I thought it was a good one. I got a lot out of it. I hope you did too. I hope this helps you on your path and on your journey to uh, winning at whatever you're, you're pursuing, whatever God has for you. If you'd like to learn more about the Business Devo, maybe get these in your inbox or get them in the morning. You can go to bizdevo.com. That's B-I-Z-D-E-V-O.com. And you can go ahead and sign up and we can send those to you. Uh, also, if you'd like to learn more about me for some reason, my name is Ken Ott and you can go to kennethott.com or kenott.com. That's K-E-N-O-T-T.com. Thanks. And until next time, never stop growing.